This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. While Ontario seems to be flattening the curve, the carnage in our long-term care sector continues. Politicians of all stripes agree the system is broken and has been for years, but they are not on the same page on what is necessary for a fix and what should have been done before this crisis hit. Joining me now, leader of the official opposition of Ontario, NDP leader, Andrea Horvath. Hello. Hi, Libby. Nice to hear your voice. It's been a little while. It has been a long while. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, Andrea, you are calling for an independent public inquiry. Why is that what we need? Well, Libby, I think um, it, it's exactly true what you said, uh, the just that tremendous loss of life in long-term care the uh you know the terrifying situation that family members find themselves in and the knowledge that this uh this broken system has been limping along broken for many many years now uh all of those things uh point to the fact that we have to get a handle on long-term care and we have to have uh you know that hard look at what's uh, what's going on and i was really disappointed today when the premier did not commit to having a complete, full, independent public inquiry uh, into long-term care. I mean, you know, the loss of life, as I said, is tragic, and uh, we owe it to Ontarians to do that work uh, for the purposes of fixing this broken system. And let's not forget, the Liberals didn't put a full public inquiry in place when they should have, uh, when the wet law for murders took place. Uh, those heinous crimes were unthinkable. And we could have had a full public inquiry a couple of years ago. Uh, th- there's just no point in doing things in half measures anymore. We need a full, independent public inquiry, not just a government review. Well, um, we did have the Galice inquiry. Um, I've got to tell you that what a lot of stakeholders are saying to me is that uh, we don't have time for an inquiry and, and we know what the problems are. And rather than taking the time and the money to do that, let's just start fixing this thing because we know what the problems are and, and they start with staffing. Well, you know what? Uh, the, the, those problems have uh, have been you know, in existence for a very long time. That's true. Uh, but they haven't been fixed. And after the Gleasy inquiry, they still weren't fixed. And today, they're still not fixed. Uh, and so, you know, what does it take? Uh, and, and, you know, when we were trying to get the Liberals to do the right thing on a broad public inquiry, what we talked about at that point was a find and fix inquiry. In other words, don't wait till the end of the public inquiry for some final report and recommendations. But as the issues are, uh, you know, de- uh, dealt with uh, in the process, uh, then fix the problems as we go. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not something that the government's prepared to do. And, and, and I think it's, well, it's the very least that we owe uh, the people of Ontario. It's, it's the very least that we all owe all of those grieving family members, all of those frontline healthcare workers as well, frankly, um, that have uh, contracted the disease and that have, have died from it. I mean, it's just, it's just horrifying what's been happening. And, uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not good enough. Uh, to simply have the government uh, do, um, you know, some kind of 
partisan review, uh, which is the way it works, unfortunately. If it's not public and independent, it becomes an exercise in the government, you know, determining what the messaging is. And, you know, today in question period, I had asked the Premier uh, to be, you know, open and honest. I didn't want to have to ask the questions that I had to ask. I didn't, don't think anybody wanted to be in that situation asking questions or answering them. Uh, but we heard a lot of government talking points today in question period, and the people of Ontario deserve better. Uh, that's why, you know, complete independence is a, an absolute must. Um we also heard the Prime Minister reiterate that the federal government will have a role in helping the provinces, because not just Ontario, fix this. What do you see as an appropriate role for Ottawa? Well, I mean, there's been much talk about uh, the Canada Health Act and pulling, uh, you know, pulling long-term care into that uh, the, that realm. Um, you know, I've always said uh, that we shouldn't be making profits off the backs of caring for our most vulnerable seniors in long-term care. Uh, that needs to come out of our of our system. Um, there's no way that uh, the return on investment or the, uh, uh, you know, the um, interests of shareholders should be coming before. Uh, the proper care of, of our seniors. And so, I mean, if, if that's what the pre, uh, Prime Minister is talking about, uh, making sure we have a system that's uh, that's uh, reflective, simil- uh, similar uh, as uh, we deal with hospitals, for example, uh, then then certainly I'm, I'm happy to see that. Uh, more investment from the federal government to uh, help make sure that those PSWs and the folks that we now call heroes are actually getting the kind of pay, the stability of work, um, you know, the, the benefits, uh, the sick days, uh, time off when they need it, that they deserve and have always deserved, um, then absolutely, I'm all for it. Uh, but again, you know, uh, we've too many times we've seen these kinds of, uh, you know, situations occur where the crisis is upon us. Uh, and then, you know, down the road, everything kind of falls off the agenda. I mean, there are many lessons that we were supposed to learn from SARS, and we didn't learn them. Um, even the moving of PSWs or frontline healthcare workers uh, from one area to another, from one facility to another, was something we should have learned from SARS. Didn't happen. The uh, stockpiling of PPE, apparently, uh, you know, go- the government refused to answer that question today, but apparently there was a stockpile at one point. W- why was that not maintained? You know, when when was the government aware that we didn't have any PPE in Ontario uh, to, um, I don't, don't mean none, but you know what I mean, yeah. an, inadequate, an inadequate supply anyways uh, to, to deal with another pandemic. And you know what, Libby, the, the bottom line is the way the world works now, and, and we all know this, we learned it, uh, we keep relearning it, or at least it keeps happening over and over again, so it's going to happen again. There will be another pandemic. Uh, shame on uh, everyone that we didn't, we didn't you know, address uh, the, um, the the lessons from SARS. Uh, well, so, just... so why didn't we? I mean, that in, in and of itself deserves a public inquiry when it comes to long-term care. Well, we... Why didn't we learn? Well, apparently we, we learned and we forgot. Uh, on the profit versus non-profit, uh, a lot of people are thinking about that, but uh, they see the problem that certainly in Ontario, the vast number of of, uh, of homes are for profit. And in the interim, you know, where do you put the people that are in them while, say, new ones are being built? Do you expect the government to buy them? Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of the issue is what do you do with the people who are there 
in the interim. Well, I mean, it's not it's not a matter of getting rid of the existing uh, stock and, and moving people out. It's a matter of how those homes are operated and managed. I mean, in British Columbia, when long-term care homes were were uh, struggling and and couldn't deal with their outbreaks because of uh, of lack of capacity or lack of ability, the government went in and took over the operating of those homes. Uh, look, we we do pay every day uh, the Ontarian uh, Ontario's uh, you know uh, t- tax dollars go to uh, the care that's provided in long term care. Uh, y- yes, you know the the Mike Harris government, Conservative government, and the Liberals after them continue to keep uh, uh, to keep privatizing more and more of long term care. Doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. Uh, and so now, you know, when, when we have a premier who's prepared to spend untold millions of dollars to shut down private companies like green energy companies that he didn't like, uh, then, you know, everybody says, well, he, he won the mandate to do that. I would hope that the people of Ontario would tell this government that their new mandate is to get the profits out of long-term care and focus on making sure our loved ones and our most vulnerable seniors have the dignity and quality of care that they deserve. They've deserved it all along. They really haven't gotten it all along. Um, and I think COVID-19 laid bare uh, the um, the horrendous uh, situations that that people and, and families have been facing in long-term care for a long time. Well, I think that everyone would agree on that. Andrea, I know you have to go. I think we're going to have to pick up this conversation another time because there's a lot more to drill down there. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. My pleasure, as always, Libby. You take care. Stay well. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's go to Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hi, Marissa. Hi, Libby. Thanks for having me on. Okay, first, before we get to this, I was just talking to Andrea Horvath. She is calling for an independent inquiry into long-term care in Ontario. She's adamant that that's what we need. Our strat panel, you know, begged to differ. What do you think? Well, it's something that uh, we've heard from our members, and it's something that we're considering, but I think timing is everything here. You know, we're halfway through a pandemic, potentially, um, so I think now might not be the appropriate time to be calling for an inquiry when we, we don't have the full scope of all that's happened uh, in long-term care homes. That said, I would also add, you know, we did just come through an inquiry with Wetlawfer and had a lot of those recommendations be implemented today. We might not have seen the same level of crisis that we saw in long-term care homes. Um, so the thing about inquiries, they're good and they're, and, and they're robust. And what came out of the Wetlawfer inquiry was 91 recommendations, and, and it's good but they take time and we need urgent action now. Um, so I guess to answer your question, uh, timing is important, something we've considered, but I'm also looking for real legislative change from the government immediately to address some of the challenges that we've seen, the systemic challenges in long-term care. Okay, yeah, um, I, I think we know a lot of what the problems are. That's we know. Right. Okay, uh, moving right along to this morning's announcement, uh, the main bits were uh, an extra $300 tax-free for everybody who is eligible for old age security, plus 200 for lower income seniors who are also eligible for the guaranteed income supplement. Uh, I was surprised that the initial reaction to it, a lot of questions and criticisms, it's not enough, it'll cover a month of extra expenses, this thing is going on. What's your view? Well, I think that the $500 for those who do qualify, and it's not not as, you know, it's, it's not insignificant $500. It'll help with 
still help cope with the the imminent crisis of, of grocery delivery and maybe some additional co-payments. The challenge is, is that it's not long term and it's unclear how long um, this will last. Remember, seniors have been impacted by, as I mentioned, an increase in delivery fees on groceries, prescription medication fees, um, because some provinces have moved to limit um prescription supplies to 30 days. Um, but, you know, we've also seen a shortage of free or discounted community services. Volunteer tax prep programs have shut down. Even meals at community centers. I read uh, recently that 40% of food banks in Ontario were closed due to physical distancing restrictions and also a shortage of volunteers. So, it's unclear how long this is going to last for. So I think, you know, the $500, it's welcome, um, but it's certainly not a long-term, even medium-term solution. Well, and it's interesting that you mention delivery and all of that, because one of the things Minister Schultz announced was an increase in that Horizons program, which helps agencies help seniors. But, you know, I keep getting calls from people... They have no idea how to access it. And, yeah. and is it is is something happening in their community where they can get a free delivery of, of their drugs? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and there's no, you know, there's no easy registry, even if, if you are computer literate and, and online. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, that's that's part of the problem. You know, the federal government doles out money and where does the money go? Uh, who knows? Well, and, you know, we had the same concerns from our members around the $9 million that went to United Way at the beginning of the crisis. Is there was, it was really met with a lot of confusion around how to access some of those programs. The same as with the New Horizons program. Remember, the New Horizons program was announced before COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the programs that were approved under this program um, weren't specific to some of the challenges that are going on today. Um, so it was announced that, you know, maybe some of these programs would have the flexibility to pivot that program to meet the needs of the community during these times of social distancing. Um, so I think the infusion of funds, the $20 million, um, it's it's good. Uh, you know, will it go to new applicants that are applying for for programs that are specific to grocery delivery and isolation during COVID? Or does it go to existing programs that may or may not have pivoted to meet the needs of seniors during COVID? I think it's sort of unclear. And to your point, where one community may have a really great, robust program around grocery delivery, another may not. So, that's obviously one of the challenges when you invest in programs like this. Yeah, and it's, you know, every, you know, I, I see feel-good stories about somebody who is volunteering to deliver groceries, and even those things are very hard for people who are isolated to access. No, that's right. You know, I think that there has been a bit of a misconception that COVID hasn't impacted seniors because they're retired and therefore they didn't experience a loss of income. But as I said, there's been a significant increase in the cost of living, particularly for seniors and disproportionately impacted for low-income seniors around grocery delivery. A lot of seniors feel unsafe leaving their homes at this time. Frankly, they're being told to stay home. Uh, So there's that. There's the increased prescription medication fees. What we know about our own members is that when it comes to prescription drugs, they're super users. Majority take on, you know, an average of four medications each with some taking more than 10. So those costs do add up. And then particularly from low for low-income seniors, you know, one of the key programs, the Canadian Volunteer Income Tax Program, had its doors closed until June 30th. 
Um, so, you know, these are really important programs that a lot of people depend on and have been closed. And as a result, many seniors have been forced to bear the brunt of these additional costs. And it's having a real impact on their lives. And here's something that I actually, even before this, meant to follow up on in terms of taxes. So uh, Minister Schultz announced that uh, she's deferring uh is not so much deferring filing taxes, but saying, you know, you need to file taxes every year to get your guaranteed income supplement so the government can see. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's deferring the need to do that. She's saying she's, you know, if you get the guaranteed supplement, you'll keep getting it, even if your taxes are late. But it, here's something else that happened. We've had a discussion, Marissa, about paper filing, right? It's it's really hard to get a form if you want to file your taxes with paper. That was happening before this, but now we learned that uh, the CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency, is not processing paper filing. So where does that leave people who uh, can't e-file? I mean, the, the, the suggestion was, even if you've already filed your paper, go ahead and e-file again. But this is a whole other problem, especially when the volunteer tax people uh, aren't there anymore. No, that's right. So, you know, I think that we, while I appreciate the delay until October, I assume the government won't restart until clear, you know, there's clear evidence that resources are available. And to your point, exactly, when people are only familiar with paper filing and don't even have access to e-filing, what resources are there available for seniors, particularly low-income seniors who depend on GIS payments um, to be able to follow their taxes? Um, again, you know, maybe community programs will will start up again as, the, as this virus sort of quiets down. It's possible. But as I said, I think there needs to be very clear evidence that there are enough resources available to make sure that no one's left behind and to make sure that there's no interruption in the benefits of GIS payments for those that qualify. Okay, well, they've said there won't be, or at least uh, till October. Let's, That's right. Let's take a call from Michelle in Halton Hills. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good, good. Um, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't uh, hear the lady's name from CARP. It's Marissa Lennox. Marissa. Well, Libby and Marissa... Um, thank you very much um, for doing your work for seniors because I know that w- what was announced today was a lot of hard work on, you, on your end. On Marissa's end, yes. Thank you, Marissa. <laughs> thank you, Marissa. Um, but I do have a question. When you were negotiating with the federal government and with the governments and putting your proposals forward, did they discuss their promises back in the federal election about old age security and the widow's pension? Yeah. So they this said is a, starting in July was supposed to be a 10% top up on old age security and right. 25% top up on the widow's pension. And, and the, the, the first I'm is, asking the question on behalf of family members that are seniors. And, and just to clarify, that 10% top up is for people over 75. Michelle, yes, we're going to exactly. let Marissa sorry, answer. Yeah. yeah, I know it's people over 75. I'm asking on behalf of seniors in my family that would have qualified for that. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. Marissa, please answer. We're starting to run out of time. Yes, no. So thank you for your question. This is one of our key asks of government. I've presented to um, federal standing committees on this. I've spoken with the Ministry of Finance, with President Duclos at the Treasury Board of Canada, and with the Minister of Seniors. And they've all assured me that it is still very much on the table, that it'll likely come around um, the time when the budget is tabled, which is likely going to be in the fall. So there was a delay to that, but that it is absolutely not abandoned and that it is still very much on the table. And I can assure you that we will continue to hold the government's feet to the fire because it is so important um, to seniors and it'll frankly put more cash in the pockets of seniors, um, particularly those that have been so devastated, uh, that have been devastated by the COVID-19 virus. Yes. Most definitely. Well, thank you very much for your answer. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Michelle. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, that is uh, one good thing, but people aren't going to be getting it in July when they were expecting it. Yes, that's the unfortunate thing. I'm, you know, I, I got to be frank. I was really hopeful that the government would announce, um, at, you know, the acceleration of their commitment to increase OAS and CPP survivor benefit today. I was dismayed when they didn't. Um, but you know, it sounds like it sounds like this is hopefully announcement one of many. Um, that they're still very much, you know, working on what other supports are needed as this pandemic continues to sort of evolve. So, you know, that's a critical one for sure for our members. And I know that you're concerned about long-term retirement security. I mean, we we know that even uh, seniors who are well off, well, they rely on their portfolios. Their portfolios are, are taking a hit. That's right. So, um, one of the biggest issues we hear from our members is around RIF withdrawals. So when you reach the age of 71, your RSP converts to a RIF, and by the age of 72, you need to start drawing down on that RIF according to a schedule. Um, you know, seniors do have the option to transfer in kind to a different investment vehicle to let those dollars ride, but, you know, there are often fees associated with that, with transferring and with different investment vehicles. And the other issue is many don't even know that that's an option for them. Um, the other problem with RIFs, particularly during COVID, is that anything you withdraw is fully taxable, even if it's transferred in kind. So ultimately, it'll increase your tax liability for the year, which at this time, you know, many seniors are looking to reduce that tax liability to maximize their cash. It's interesting. I just received an email from a CART member who said that she had withdrawn the full amount of, of her RIF withdrawal early in January or February, contacted the CRA to see if she could benefit benefit from the government's reduction in RIF withdrawals announcement to 25%, and they said no. So that's a big problem is that the announcement isn't retroactive, and that has an impact on other programs that she qualifies for. She'll see a clawback on her OAS, for example, because, you know, her total income will go up. So this is something that we're continuing to work on with and have conversations with the government on for sure. Yeah, are those, is, is an issue like that partly just uh, the matter of, of how to administer it, or is it... Because that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I do wonder if maybe the government's, I, I can't speak for the government. Perhaps it's because we hadn't seen the declines in the market that early. Maybe because declines in the market came really in, in March, April. Um, and so if you were withdrawing in January, February, um, you know. It, you it were better. Been, yeah, exactly. you were better off. Okay. You better well, off. Yeah, that's true. Um, but having said that, you know, many of our members do feel like they should benefit from this from this additional reduction in RIF withdrawals and, and consequently would like to. So that's another part of, you know, what we've asked is that we've urged them to, at a minimum, if they're not going to eliminate RIF withdrawals for the current tax year, to at least make the 
announcement retroactive. Um, because as I said, it does have an impact on other retirement programs on OAS um, because it impacts your total income. Uh, Marissa, we just have a few seconds left. What would you like to leave us with on this? Yeah, I think, you know, from our perspective, we're pleased to see the government take action better late than never, um, but would urge the government to really do more around the retirement security crisis that has been caused uh, by COVID-19. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Libby. Okay. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.